Welcome to today's episode as I carry on in the case for healing. Today I want to give just a little overview of some of the history of our medical system. I'm not going to get deep into that, just a very, very little overview. And then I want to stop and zoom in on at least one part that still occurs today. The part where they experiment on the humans to get the drugs approved for use throughout the nation. I actually spent two years of my life being one of those guys that was experimented on. So let's start with just a little bit of history. So as we've discussed already, the father of modern medicine, as we consider him here in America, is a guy named Hippocrates. Hippocrates existed before the time of Jesus Christ, before God sent his son down to the earth to perfectly reveal to mankind how health and healing works. Neither was Hippocrates a Jew or somebody that was in relationship with God, at least not the God that we know as the Christian God. He was in relationship with what we would call pagan gods, Greek and Roman gods. He was a bit of a philosopher, and he came up with some different theories on how to bring health and healing to people. I would believe that Hippocrates actually had a desire to see good things happen to people. You know, there's a lot of these philosophers that do. They want to get out there and, hey, how can we help bring good things to mankind? And so they spend time thinking and pondering and pondering. Well, tomorrow we're going to talk about the knowledge of good and evil. And that's where most of these guys actually draw their information from. It's the fallen nature, the fall of man, the thing that brings all the death to mankind, even when it seems like we're doing good. So that's where Hippocrates more than likely received all of his information from. He tried to implement a system of doing good and bringing health and healing to mankind. I'm going to read really quick from Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. According to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits or principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So here we have a system of supposed health and healing or medicine that actually began before the time of Jesus Christ. This is important for us to understand because when Jesus came, this system just skipped right over Jesus. It did not shift according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. It did not embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ. It did not surrender itself and replace itself with the teachings of Jesus Christ. It skipped right over Jesus Christ and kept going. Jesus comes down and explains to us how health and healing truly works. And he does it not with theory, but with thousands upon thousands of miraculous healings. He gives us healing, not just a theory talking about healing. Fast forward through time. We nowadays live in a society and a nation where we have tons of educational institutes that are built around the theories that come from Hippocrates and the Greek and Roman pagan gods that he followed who actually had their own theories of health and healing. 
If you look at some of them, like Apollo is known to be a physician. Hygieia is the theory of hygiene. Some of these things that do not line up with Christ. Look at Jesus. He would touch the lepers and the sickness and disease would run from them. Today, if we touch, we're taught, oh no, if you touch somebody that's sick, you're going to get sick too. Well, that's not the case for Christ or for the disciples of Christ. Jesus truly gave us a better belief system that actually helps us to access the genuine healing power of God, not just the theories of Hippocrates and all of the giant, it's practically a Tower of Babel that we've built upon it, this huge institution, and yet the foundation is far from God. And yet it has invaded our nation. So on to today's subject a little bit more. Founding Father, Hippocrates, modern times, we have all these theories that are built upon Hippocrates. You want to hear something kind of interesting? It's possible to have more than one belief system and theory that has results, but that doesn't mean it's from God. Look at Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. They both came up with theories of quantum physics and some various things where you look and you're like, wait a second, some of these theories in my own mind and in you know the human mind, there's no way they could both coexist because they're, they almost seem at war with one another. And yet we have technology that exists on both of these different systems, which I'm not going to go into quantum physics today, not even close, but we have two different competing theories, both of which seem to be real and both of which currently power some of today's technology. So be aware, it's possible to have belief systems that seem in competition with one another where both of them are possible. Now, I'm not saying Newton or Einstein or, you know, none of those are of the enemy. I'm not saying that kind of thing. So don't hear that. But I'm just saying it's possible to have more than one belief system that seems to have some results to it, even if the belief systems are at war with one another. Well, that's what we see in our medicine system. Our medicine system is a belief system that's actually uh, Greek paganism and Roman paganism. And yet we can get some results. Everybody knows you can go to the doctor and get some results. There's a variety of drugs and pharmaceuticals out there which seem to have some kind of results. That doesn't mean you can't get anything from it. But then there's Jesus Christ who gave us a, himself as our healer. And that's a belief system that works for those who understand what it is to believe in Jesus Christ. So we've got modern medicine now, all these educational institutions, all these theories of Greek and Roman paganism, which nowadays we just call it science, you know, in our America or medical science, some of which is indeed advancing science and some of which is actually just theories of paganism being implemented as, you know, the new savior of mankind. Well, the drug companies at some point, they got to put together drugs, right? Because that's where they go make their money is selling all these random pills. And you got to sell as many as possible before the lawyers start suing them over it. So you get a couple of guys who run off, you know, and they go and they look around and say, hey, I'll get a, you know, a leaf from that tree and a leaf from that tree and a chemical over here and a chemical over there. And let's all go mix them in a lab and see what happens. You know, I know that this leaf in theory might do this one thing because some researcher said so. This other plant might do something because some researcher said so. Here's a couple of chemicals that at least at some time seem to have, you know, these kind of principles to them. So let's go ahead 
and combine them and we're going to make a drug. We're going to make a, you know, something to hand out to people and hopefully it helps. And even if it doesn't help, hopefully the company at least makes hundreds of millions of dollars off of it without doing too much harm. Well, now we've got to test out these drugs. We've got to find some humans eventually to test them out on, especially if they're going to be marketed towards human use. So where do you find these humans? All right, now I'm going to share my story with you. The year was 2007. I just got out of the Marines in 2006. I was struggling hardcore to be fit for civilization again. I'm not going into all of that, but I came back from Iraq um, mentally pretty messed up, and it took me a while to even consider myself fit for civilization again. You know, and I'm like, hey, I need money though. I need an income. Where am I going to make money? Well, one day I hear this radio ad and the radio ad talks about, come on down to this, you know, local facility here. I'm not going to name any of the names in this just for safety of everybody. But, you know, it's come on down. We're doing these research drug trial things. You can come and you can get paid up to 6,000, 7,000, 8,000, you know, 12,000, however many thousands of dollars by coming and just being one of the humans that they experiment on with these medications. We'll call it, you know, pharmaceutical research trials. And I was sitting here thinking, man, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know that I was mentally ready to go take on a full job again, but I could go be experimented on and get some money. I needed money. I, I was really tight on money when I got out of the military because of the fact I was not yet really civilized and fit to get back into the regular workforce. So I hear this commercial and I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm going to go figure this out. I'm going to call them up. I'm going to get an appointment and I'm going to get on down there. This began a two-year journey for me of basically being a, a human experiment for these drug trials. So I get down to the first one, and for this one, I mean, it was thousands of dollars. You know, it was somewhere between five and ten thousand dollars. I don't remember the exact dollar amount, but I get down there, and I'm like, all right, so this is how much money I get paid for going there, and you have to live in there. They have all these rules that you have to follow. Because one of the things for clinical research trials is as much as possible, you want to have a consistent kind of environment for every person. The thing is, not every person is consistent, but they're trying to control all the variables possible. You know, hey, we, you're not allowed to work out. You're required to eat a particular diet. Everybody eats the same thing. Everybody has to eat all their food, you know, all these different things. So I go down there and for this first one, I actually end up living at the research facility for a couple of weeks. They lock you up inside. Like you're locked in. You're not allowed out. You stay there. They give you the, the drugs, medication every so often. Let me tell you a little bit about the different phases. So we have phase one trials, phase two trials, phase three trials. A phase one trial is like, hey, you're going to be one of the first humans we've ever put this into. You might die. You might not. Here's how much money we'll give you. And the money looks pretty good. And so, you know, some of the people will go in for the phase one trials. The guys that do this professionally as a career, which I'm going to talk about, will often not do the phase one trials. Your phase one trials, a lot come from people that are really hurting for money who really just aren't good at calculating the cost of something. And that was me when I first went in. <laughs> so I didn't know any better. I knew nothing about this. I'm just like, oh, look, there's a lot of money. I'll go take some pills for a lot of money. I need the money. 
Your phase two trials are safer, usually, well, in theory, but at least if the drug's going to kill somebody, it'll do that in phase one, not so much phase two. By phase two, we've kind of phased out the really, you know, violent side effect type of drugs and the aggressive ones. And at this point, it's the drugs that are less likely to cause as much damage in you. Not always, but a lot of times, less damage. Phase three is like, hey, we've already successfully, you know, experimented on the first phase one. We've successfully experimented on phase two. Yeah, the drug seems to be decently safe for human consumption. So come on, phase three. They don't get paid near as much money. Basically, the safer the drug has been proven through previous trials, the less money I would get paid for taking the drug. So that's something I'm factoring in when I'm looking at the different you know, dollar amounts and different trials. But I end up on that first one and I'm there for two weeks. And I actually ended up meeting a good friend of mine who I, I told you, I'm not naming anybody for any of this. But I ended up meeting a, a friend of mine that was a good friend for a while. And I meet a number of other people. And I start learning all kind of unique ways to get around the rules. You know, you're not allowed to work out because that affects your metabolism, which can affect the drug inside of your body. It'll affect, you know, how quick it goes through the body, maybe the effects of it. And you you sleep in open quarters. It's It's like barracks room when I was in the military. Here's this giant room, you know, there's five or 10 hospital beds on the one side, five or 10 on the other side. And I mean, some of them, it's not even a wall between you. It's like I roll over to my left and there's a guy, I roll over to my right and there's a guy or a girl, co-ed. And so I'm just sleeping in this giant room with a bunch of people in a bed. So if I wanna work out, I can't do it there. Well, you know, I'm a former Marine. Hey, I'm trying to stay strong and buff. And also there's kind of some things that if you work out and stay healthier, it's, it might be more likely to decrease the amount of negative effects you have from the drug. So we work out in the shower. There's actually a whole way because nobody can see you in the shower. It's not an open shower and you get a private stall. So you can go into the shower in the private stall. You can do sit-ups, you can do push-ups, you can do pull-ups. That's a normal thing. We just go in there and do that. It's against the rules. The drug companies say you're not allowed to do this. We do it. That very well may affect some of the results they get, but why Why do I care? I'm not the drug company. I'm just some regular old dude off the streets. Wasn't very sophisticated at the time. Desperate for thousands of dollars so I could pay some bills and and keep eating and keep living and keep you know paying all the overhead expenses of life. They require you to eat all the food on your plate. So for those who don't know me, I'm a picky eater. I. I hate to say it, but I kind of still have the appetite of maybe your average like five or six year old kid. That's me. I don't do a whole lot with veggies. I don't do a lot of stuff. And I mean, you would show up to this place and all of a sudden they're putting things like the pica de gallo on your plate, guacamole, here's lettuce and onions and tomatoes. I don't eat any of that stuff. I don't like it. And they've got a rule. I'm supposed to eat all this stuff. Why? Because they want the same food going into everybody's body for some sort of consistency. Do you think I ate all that stuff? Not a chance. A lot of people didn't. A lot of people. We'd actually trade off food. There's ways to make your food disappear. You could get really crafty and just kind of start spreading it out throughout the plate, chopping it up into smaller pieces so it kind of looks like it was just, you know, some of the leftover crumbs or whatever. There's all kind of ways to get around that. 
And we did. A lot of the people do. They regularly get around that kind of stuff. What about side effects? Well, I'm going to tell you, some of the people you get in there are pretty goofy. And, you know, sometimes they'll just make up side effects. Things that can't be seen. Oh, I have pain here. Oh, I have this going on. I'll tell you why. Sometimes they do this because there's a rule. If you have a bad enough side effect in one of these, let's say I just signed up for a three-week study where I'm going to get paid $12,000. I take the drug day one and I end up with a really bad side effect day one. I get released from the study with my full $12,000 if the side effect is bad enough. I don't have to stay for the rest of the study and I just got to pocket a bunch of money. One day for $12,000, that was a pretty good payday. Now, I personally never did this, but I knew people that did. But part of the issue is those kind of people, if they do that, oh man, I got hit with really bad side effect. You were actually limited in when you were allowed to come back for another future study. Basically, the drug companies would say, oh, this, this guy, nope, big, big negative side effect. We don't want him back for future experiments and trials because if this is the kind of person that might overreact to things, that, that, that doesn't look good on us and that could be unsafe for him. So we'll find other humans that don't react quite as badly to experiment on for future trials. Sometimes these horrible side effects were real and sometimes I'm quite sure that people were making them up just so they could pocket 10 grand and get out in a day, 12 grand, however much. Usually the people that would make up the horrible side effects though, they weren't the career people. I want to tell you about the career people. These guys were hilarious and a number of them were my friends. So the career people were people that decided, you know, living life in a medical research facility ain't too shabby. I can live there for a couple weeks out of the year. I get free, oh no, a couple weeks out of the month, I mean, out of the month. I get free food. I get thousands of dollars. I got enough to pay rent for an apartment, you know, in town. And when I get out of this place, I can go to an apartment. Basically, you're just living somewhere where all you get to do is hang out with fellow humans all day. And there's TV, there's games, you can read books. You're just living in a place of a bunch of entertainment while you're getting paid thousands of dollars, you know, along with all the research stuff you got to do. So some people decided this was a whole lot more enjoyable than working a nine to five down the street. And these are the career guys. The career guys cracked me up. They're hilarious. They knew every loophole to get around all of the regulations inside of these places. All the ones that were possible to get around, they would get around. So one of the things is if I go down to this research trial, you know, I spend a couple weeks there, I get paid my thousands of dollars, I go home. Well, now I technically have to wait X number of days before I'm allowed to do another research trial. Usually, I think it was like at least 30, 60, 90 days, three months, six months. It depends on the research trial you were in for and the half-life of the drug. How long is the drug in my body? Because part of the issue is, let's say I got a drug in my body that has a half-life of, you know, four weeks before it goes out. And I'm going back and getting another experimental drug put in my body before that previous one's out. Well, how do they know if any side effects I'm getting are from interaction between the drugs?
they don't know that. So because of this, here's a problem. Let's say I need to get paid a bunch of money this month. There's one research trial at one location here in town, but an hour down the road, there's a different location in three weeks that has another trial that pays a lot of money as well. How do I get in both of them? I'm going to tell you how, because this is normal amongst a lot of the career folks. Well, check this out. The place here in town, they work for one particular drug manufacturer. It's all super hush-hush confidential. Uh, welcome to, they're not allowed to share my info with the guy down the street. And so, you know, I go an hour down the road, there's that other medical research facility. I'm gonna give them names. I'm gonna say medical research facility A is here in town and research facility B is an hour down the road. Well, I sign up for medical research facility A I go there and I spend two weeks there. That's one particular drug company, which I actually know which one it is, but I'm not going to name them, uh, that does a lot of the research there. And so that particular company looks, I go there, cool, it's confidential, nobody's allowed to know. Well, at Medical Research Facility B, an hour down the road, it's actually a competitor. It's a different pharmaceutical manufacturer, different drug manufacturer. And so they're researching down the road. Well, they don't share any information with one another, nor can they. First of all, you kind of got trade secrets, you got privacy, you got medical stuff. You can't share my info with the guy down the street without my permission, and you don't have my permission. So what people would do is they'd sign up for the one, Research Facility A, spend two weeks there, and I kid you not, while they were in that facility, they would call Facility B that would have another trial starting sometimes the same day they would get out of research facility A. So they'd be plenty drugged up from research facility A. They'd get out, they'd go, woohoo, you know, I got $10,000. And then you drive right down the street to, or an hour down the road rather, to facility B and you check in. And hey, have you been in any research in the last 30 days? Nope, no, I haven't. How, oh wait, how many thousands of dollars am I getting again? Oh, 10 grand. Yep, nope, nope, I haven't been. Not at all. It's bogus. It's lying. It's absolutely normal amongst the people that go and research these drugs. These are the humans being experimented on. This is where the manufacturers are getting their research about, hey, are there side effects? Are these drugs really safe? What's going on with these drugs? Are they really helping out the humans? These are the people that are, are actually giving that feedback before it gets approved by the FDA. So these people do this as a career. You got one drug in your body. The half-life isn't even close to gone. Well, going down the street, the next drug company can't necessarily tell that you've got some drug in your system. They don't know. On top of that, it's a research drug. How would they know? So you've now, here I am at facility B. I just got paid 10 grand from facility A. I'm about to get 10 grand from facility B. And all I've got to do is tell a little fib, eh, 20 grand. That's an issue. That's a huge issue. But these guys do this as a career. There are actually entire websites and systems. And I, man, I learned so much. I didn't do this, I'll tell you, because I didn't like driving an hour down the road. I don't want to have to do that. Um, but there are people that have entire understandings of how to do this professionally. And you can actually jump from one facility to the next facility to the next facility to the next facility and time them almost perfectly where you'll spend very little time 
having to, you know, wait in between research studies, even though you're supposed to, even though that's the rules, that's not how it actually works in practice. So here's a potential issue. Let's say I'm one of the career people. And remember, I wasn't one of the career people, but I'm giving you all of the information that I have from my friends who did this for a living. So let's say I'm one of the career people. Well, here's a problem I got. Let's say I go to that first research facility where I'm getting $10,000 for two weeks. Let's say I start having a really bad side effect. I've got tremendous pain in my liver, tremendous pain. It's hurting. I can tell them and potentially I get out of the study and I get $10,000, not bad. However, I am potentially put on a one year wait list before I can come back to this facility and collect my next paycheck. That's problematic because this is what I do full time. And if it happens enough, it's possible I just get on the forever banned from that facility list and there goes my income. That's not good. So now I'm faced with a dilemma. I've either got to be honest and tell them, hey, I'm hurting pretty bad here, or I just suck it up. I keep playing games, watching TV, distracting myself, hope it goes away. I collect my 10,000 bucks and then I drive to the next facility to do it all over again. You know, my, my the pain will probably eventually go away in the liver, right? Or much rarer, I'm sure, but imagine you get somebody like me in there who I have some level of functionality and healing, which I did during the time I did this, but not very much. I didn't understand near as much as I do today and I didn't walk in it as much as I do today. You know, and I, I'm getting better and better day by day, still not 100% perfect. But I will say there was a time I was in there and I seem to recall having some sort of pain. Well, now I just lay hands on myself and I pray for miraculous healing. Boom, side effect is gone, pain is gone. I'm good to go to spend two more weeks in that research facility so I don't get banned from the next trial. Here's the problem. How many people know how to lay hands on the sick and heal them? Probably not a lot of the people in there. But for the ones that do, that receive that for themselves, that definitely affects the potential outcome and side effects of these drugs. Because if I'm not going to admit I had that pain because I got healed of the pain, it never ends up written down on the list of potential side effects, never makes it up to the company, and never goes to the FDA. See here, it's actually possible for your belief system and spirituality to affect your physical health and healing. That is not something that can be measured in a blood test necessarily. You might see the results of it, but you can't tell how the spirit is affecting the body. So now what we've got is really what we have these medications that are doing a walking by sight, not by faith. We're going to put a drug in you and try to keep all the physical variables as much the same as possible and then just take a bunch of blood tests and you know talk to you every day and ask you hey you having any side effects you having any of this that or the other going on well i might not because i don't believe in getting sick whereas the guy next to me might be he might believe in getting sick all the time and so he might have all kind of side effects going on 
But is it the drug that's causing the problem? Or is it the belief system? We've heard of placebo where, hey, look, I can take a drug that's, you know, sometimes you get the placebo effect. I just took a sugar pill and all my pain went away. Yay. What about the other way around? What about the idea of having a placebo where I take a medication and I literally open myself up to believing to receive a side effect and a negative thing? And accordingly, I do. Well, guess what? Science doesn't measure that. The drug research companies don't measure that. It's a real thing, but it's not measured by that. So really, they're just measuring, hey, how well does this drug break down into the blood? And hey, humans, give us some feedback. Are you having side effects? You know, talking about those career guys again, I know of at least some of them who have spent 14 to 15 years with a career doing this. And I know that they work the system in all kinds of ways. And I kid you not, one of the largest drug manufacturers in the nation, maybe the world, uses one of these facilities where these career guys are the ones going in regularly, violating all kind of rules, all kind of protocol, just so they can pocket the money. You would hope the drug manufacturers would care but, you know, we, we did talk about the scripture, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. You know, there are drugs that are put out there that just bring in hundreds of millions of dollars. And all the negative side effects, the people that, you know, end up suing 10 years down the road and so on, it's just a write-off. You take your $500 million, you pay out 50 to 100 million for all the people that were harmed, you pocket $400 million and you're rich. This has been a revolving cycle for a long time, far beyond my lifetime. It's interesting to look at all of these drugs that for a period of time are hailed as, wow, this is the most amazing thing. You know, meth, meth was once hailed as a good drug, meth. Not even once, but meth. I like, oh my gosh. How about DDT? You can find ads out there. DDT is great for me. It was proven to cause so many birth defects, it wasn't even funny. You know what they prescribed it for? Helping out with pregnant women. And it just brought tons and tons and tons of birth defects. But it was hailed as the most wonderful thing. Eventually you get to the anthrax vaccine. You know, I was actually experimented on by that. I've personally been shot up by the anthrax vaccine multiple times. A lot of my buddies were. It was forced upon us. We were not allowed to make a choice, at least not at the beginning. At the beginning, those that stood up for their rights were kicked out of the military. They were thrown out, maybe even dishonorably discharged for standing up for what is right. All because the government wants to validate this human experimentation of these drugs. You know, a lot of the people that ended up getting shot up with the anthrax vaccine had a lot of similar results. A lot of me and my friends came back with a lot of issues. Uh, I'm not going to name them all here. Some of them took literally miraculous, you know, recovery to be able to just function somewhat normally again. Do you know why anthrax was forced on us, the vaccine? 
because either some political attack or something back in the day, somebody mailed some anthrax in an envelope to some dude. Next thing you know, the whole military is being shot up with this vaccine. There were a couple of researchers out there that actually started showing all of this stuff behind it saying, look, this is a horribly unsafe vaccine. It's not good. Here's all the specific reasons why. And here's all the things it's likely to cause. Ironically, many of which were the exact symptoms that me and many of my friends that got injected with it ended up having at some point. The government came out with their own report, though. It was a counter report against the other medical researchers saying, look, those guys are wrong. Those side effects couldn't happen. That's just, eh, that's made up. That's, you know, a bunch of baloney. And yet, here we, the people being injected with that, the actual humans that were experimented on, were experiencing the exact things that the government was saying could not come from the very experimental vaccine they had injected us with. Not only was the government not interested in listening to the people, it was willing to hire medical researchers to try to do a cover-up report. Think about that, because that's the same government we got today. That's the same government that wants you getting injected with all these experimental vaccines they're claiming are for COVID. I'm just going to tell you, having lived as an experiment, I would not encourage you to do that. So two years I spent as a human lab rat, and I'm going to tell you where I crashed and burned. This is when I, remember I told you, like, if you get screwed up enough, you just don't get to come back. Well, I was experimented on by a number of these drugs over the course of a couple of years, and I finally got to a point that almost every time I went in, there was something wrong with my liver. I don't know what was going on, but there was something wrong with my liver. They were like, oh, your liver values. Oh, your liver values. This is messed up. This is messed up. This is messed up. And I eventually got to a spot that, yeah, I don't know when and where, but somewhere doing these experiments, you know, with the drugs started messing up my body, which I guess I shouldn't have been surprised. But, you know, I mean, if you, if you watch any TV commercial where you got the lawyers suing the drug companies, just look. It's a drug from five or 10 or 20 years ago, usually. So somewhere in the last decade or two. And that's what they're suing over for all these horrible side effects. Well, I was beginning to have my body messed up from all of these drugs that they had been experimenting on me with. I think it was probably for the best that that crashed and burned and did not become a full-time career of mine. It was becoming easy to do because there were a handful of us that were just really good friends, actually more than a handful, and we would literally just, you know, track out, hey, which one are you going to go to next? Which one are you going to go to next? And I mean, these people will carpool. They'd carpool from the one facility to the next facility. I remember one day, this is kind of hilarious, but not. This is the day that I had initially thought about doing that with my buddies. I was thinking about going full-time career and literally forget the 30-day half-life, just skipping out, you know, hey, today I get out of the one facility and I could go down to the next facility. Well, I actually called one of these other facilities while I was still in, you know, I was in medical facility A and I called it medical facility B. And I don't know, ironically, hilariously, something, all of a sudden medical facility A, the overhead speaker goes off and, you know, and it sounds all medical-tastic, whatever they're saying. 
while I'm on the phone with medical facility B. And medical facility B hears it. And they're, hey, are you in another research trial right now? You know, what's going on with this? Um, and I'm just going to say I lied to them. I shouldn't have. I know not the Christian thing to do, but I just told them, oh, no, I'm in the hospital visiting, you know, a family member, a friend or something like that. Uh, but they were like, yeah, they ended up basically not letting me come just because of the sound effects they had heard. But it was normal for other people to make the phone call while in medical research facility A because you're not being monitored 24-7 per se. You're just locked in a facility. But you get to go play pool. You get to go watch movies. You can go to the bathroom. I mean, you can go all over the place by yourself. And so it was absolutely possible to get away while there was no one watching and to start making phone calls to the next facility to book your next you know, trip to facility B. And that was normal. I'd be in the room with these guys all the time where they're booking these things and it's way before they're supposed to be doing another research study. So I thought that was just kind of hilarious. But the one time I, I stepped out and tried to do it, I got busted. Probably for the best. I will say, looking back on my experience, looking at what I know now and kind of looking forward towards the future, this would be my encouragement for you, the listener, or anybody else that might consider becoming one of these human lab rats, don't do it. Just don't. The side effects aren't necessarily worthwhile. You never know when you're going to be seeing a TV commercial in 10 years about all these side effects from a drug. But here's what's even worse. You don't know what drug you were given. It's confidential. And some of these are so blind, even the people, that, you know, they're, what do they call them? The double blind study or whatever, which means I don't know what drug I'm getting. The guy giving me the drug doesn't know what drug he's giving me. He just knows it's drug letter A, drug letter B, you know, or whatever. And then the actual drug manufacturer, the company, they're the only ones that have that information. So it's possible these people taking all these experimental drugs might have 17 TV commercials from lawyers talking about, hey, if you had this one thing, we can sue. But the people will never have a, a clue which drugs they put in their body because it's held completely confidential from the actual people that are taking the drugs. The best thing I can tell you is don't do it. it it's a risk for your body to put random foreign substances that your body was not created to take in is a dangerous thing. That is not something that I would encourage you to do. I would not encourage you to sell your body to science for money. And if you're in a spot where you need some finances, consider praying and just asking the Lord to give you a better you know, financing system, a job, something, employment, some way to have money come in that is not having to you know, sell your body to science or have drugs forced upon you. Truthfully, if we could get all of the people that are that were the human lab rats like I was to just quit being human lab rats, you know, and then we begin to turn people back towards salvation through Christ. Well, look, it's really hard to get a drug approved if you haven't experimented on humans with it, unless, you know, right now. But beyond that, it's normally hard for a manufacturer to get approved if there's nobody to experiment on. Well, if we begin to connect all of these people to Christ as their healer, but also as their provider. That's a great way that we can begin to fight back with our faith against this system that is really against us and at war with us. 
You know, I was taught something growing up. We had a program called DARE, Drug Abuse Resistance Education. And what they would do is they would send this guy that would come in, you know, maybe from the police department or whatever, and they would basically tell you about how, oh, here's all the different things that we want to brainwash you into believing are a drug, some of which genuinely are, one of which is the marijuana plant. I'm going to do a whole episode on that. Remember that God created the plant, not the devil. Um, but the drug companies want you to believe that that plant is a drug, along with all these other things that they call drugs. Ironically, the only thing that Dare never taught me was a drug was drugs, the actual pharmaceuticals, the actual drug companies. And so there was this belief system I had growing up like, hey, look, if the guy in Dare class said it was bad, it's bad. But if the doctor down the street said it's good, well, it must be good. And so my belief system came not from God or Jesus Christ. It came from some dare guy and some medical guy. There's been a huge war and propaganda everywhere against us truly understanding what a drug is. And we need to understand that. And I'm going to tell you, as a lawyer, the thing they tell you is follow the money. Who is banking on this? Well, the people that, you know, whoop some stuff up in a lab and find human lab rats like me to experiment on, those are the companies making ridiculous quantities of money. But look at the human race. We're not healthier. We're not healed. We are not walking in the salvation that our Lord has already paid for. And it's because popping some pill does not equate to salvation. And it never will. It can't because God's already implemented the plan of salvation. The only thing we can do at this point is to forsake that which is not Christ so that we can pursue that which is Christ. Well, I hope today's message has been somewhat encouraging or interesting for you. Uh, I've done a lot of different things in my life, but the two years as a human lab rat is not something I've ever opened up about before. Minus a handful of people know that about me, but you know I don't exactly advertise that because that's kind of weird. You know, I think in a lot of our minds we look at, hey, that guy's willing to sell his body to science. That's kind of a weird guy, you know. Or sometimes we might have that kind of judgment on people. But hey, I needed the money and I didn't know any better, and here we are, God using that part of my story to help me understand more and more about how this system is really not designed to help us. And it's corrupt, not just from the manufacturer side, it's corrupt even from, from the people coming that they experiment on, which is where the actual results and feedback that gets submitted to the FDA so it can be approved or not approved. Anyways, I hope this episode has been a blessing or an encouragement or at least thought provoking, just as you begin to really ponder, hey, there's some guy down the street that says, this is the best thing ever for me right now. How did it get there? Are you just taking that guy's word for it? Are you picking apart every step of the way of how it ended up right there of him prescribing it to you? Where did it come from? Who created it? Why did they create it? How did they test it? How do they really know it works? Because some guy looks at something under a microscope, but he cannot see under that microscope a whole lot of things that actually affect health and healing.